Welcome to Follow the Data. I'm your host, Katherine Oliver. The federal government is deploying billions of dollars in aid to cities in order to help them bounce back from the COVID-19 crisis. And while some city leaders may have previous experience in disaster management from facing oil spills or hurricanes, federal programs are changing to adapt to the pandemic. So navigating the process can be a bit of a shot in the dark. That's why Bloomberg Philanthropies is teaming up with the U.S. Conference of Mayors to assist cities in assessing aid and documenting costs and ensuring proper use of the funds to support local response and recovery. Apart from securing and deploying federal aid, it's particularly important for cities to maintain fiscal order so that they can maximize the funds and avoid any misuse that could get them into a whole lot of trouble down the road. To tell us more about this work, Rose Gill, a principal at Bloomberg Associates, spoke to Stephen Cobray, partner at Cobray & Kim an international disputes and investigations firm, and a former federal prosecutor with experience monitoring federal aid. They discussed the role of monitors in reviewing the use of federal funds, emerging cases that involve fraud, and share advice for city leaders managing COVID-19 federal aid on how to mitigate risks. Additionally, Rose also spoke with Jerry Deloche, who is the head of the cost recovery team for the city of Atlanta, to discuss how the city is responding to the crisis and at the same time is tracking expenditures to maximize federal reimbursements and recovery. This is the second episode in a two-part series around how cities can best navigate, access, and deploy federal aid. We recommend listening to that episode featuring Bloomberg Associates' Adam Freed as well. Welcome, Steve Cobray. It's a pleasure to have you with us here this afternoon. Steve, what is the role of a monitor? Well, the role of a monitor is to work hand-in-hand with the municipality um, in reviewing the use of federal funds to make sure that the money that's being provided gets to the places that it's supposed to get to. So a monitor typically is one that's had experience in being able to track asset flows, knowing where money travels, uh, to make sure that the appropriate people are handling the money and essentially working as a partner with the city or state to assist them in making sure that when they receive money, it's not lost due to waste, fraud, or abuse. And a monitor is a private sector firm. What sorts of disciplines are present at a monitoring firm that can help a city or another jurisdiction with these sorts of issues? Expertise in identifying theft. So typically you'll find individuals who have formerly uh, been in either prosecutor's offices or government offices and have spent careers trying to like, investigate and uncover theft. Tell us a little bit about your background and about the trajectory that you have had in the arena of monitoring. So I was part of the monitorship team and my firm, Cobra and Kim, was an integrity monitor as it related to the work that was done regarding the Sandy Superstorm damage and repair. What are some of the types of issues that you may have come across when you were one of the New York City monitors following the devastating floods caused by Superstorm Sandy. As it relates to the deployment of aid, if there's direct deployment, uh, there is a long history of, of 
people receiving aid on under fraudulent conditions. So by way of an example, as it relates to Hurricane Katrina, the U.S. General Accounting Office found that almost a billion dollars in improper or potentially fraudulent payments were made to registrants who applied for aid using invalid information, including bogus addresses, false identities of others, and the like. And there are a couple of cases that have begun to percolate as it relates to COVID-19 fraud. Can you just tell us briefly what kinds of cases are we seeing? Absolutely. I think an observation has been made in the past that in all of these natural disasters, you tend to see the same type of conduct occurring over and over again. So the same types of fraud, waste, identity theft, kickbacks, and the like. So COVID, we're beginning to see numerous cases evolve. So by way of example, a New York individual was charged with wire fraud and mail fraud relating to the selling of stolen test kit. The FTC identified that from January 1 to May 5th of this past year, over 36,000 complaints were lodged, amounting to $24 million in losses from fraud just from scammers. There have been cases brought in Alaska involving online selling of respirators, individuals selling unregistered pesticides as a cure to the virus, people really taking advantage of people that are really reacting or vulnerable due to the this panic. How can some of those risks that you just described be mitigated by using monitors and good oversight? First is, I really do believe that one of the keys is that the monitors work closely with the city and state officials. A monitor can be involved in reviewing invoices, making sure that documents are coded correctly, uh, making sure that the there's adequate due diligence uh, for vendors. I mean, typically the monitor is not the one doing the initial work that's been done, but the, rather they are overseeing. So procurement is an area, as I mentioned, and looking at the the invoices and the like and the money that's going in and out, conducting auditing as it relates to overbilling or uh, added contract costs, reviewing purchases and checking what the market value is to make sure that there's not price gouging that's going on. COVID-19 is such a different type of disaster than a storm or some of the other kinds of engagements that you've had as a monitor. I believe that you've had some experience in connection with the healthcare system. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The healthcare part of your question is in dealing with various large-scale fraud investigations involving medical providers and healthcare, especially focusing on procurement. You know, when a hospital is looking to buy masks, Somebody's got to actually make sure you get the number of masks that they're buying. And the prices of the masks, one of the larger hospital systems uh, was recently telling me that their problem is they're buying things in such bulk and they're paying high prices because they're coming from outside of the United States. That even if a handful of masks or a thousand masks are removed or stolen or resold on the black market, the hospital is going to lose tremendous amounts of money and also not have the masks, the gloves, um, the swabs, I mean, you name it. So the difficulty as it relates to hospitals is they're purchasing so many things, items that are in large volume, but are small and easily taken that it creates an additional challenge. And then of course, to the extent that hospitals needed to reconfigure the hospital rooms, I know many of the hospitals in New York had to expand their ICUs and the like and take over 
uh, either federal or state buildings. Uh, and even that in hiring, that involves hiring construction workers under very, very compressed timeframes. So the possibility of excessive overtime and hiring people that are ineligible for that state system to be hired, things along those lines. So when you think about all the different avenues in the supply chain and all the different avenues on a construction refit, it's really stressing the system. What are your final thoughts that you would leave city leaders with as they continue along this critical program of COVID-19 monitoring and fiscal management? I think my thought would be is, is to be proactive, to, to get out in front of it and get your monitoring plan in place and monitors in place as the money's either coming or is about to come. A lot of preparation is really the best way to deal with this. The other thing I would say is, is get involved. Uh, one of the things that was, I, I thought, the key to the success of the entire monitorship program uh, with Hurricane Sandy was really, uh, Rose, you uh, as the commissioner and your team and your willingness to roll up your sleeves and meet with the monitor, monitor teams really once a week to go over the issues we're seeing. I mean, it was real-time learning that was taking place. Fantastic. Well, thank you so very much, both for helping us with this program and for helping us during the Bloomberg administration with the monitoring of Hurricane Sandy. And a lot of the lessons that we learned during that monitorship were carried forward here into this program. So you're part of the DNA. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Steve. In the second part of this episode, Rose speaks with Jerry Deloche, the head of the cost recovery team for the city of Atlanta. We'll hear from the city's perspective on how they're tracking and maximizing federal reimbursements and recovery aid. Jerry, we so appreciate you being here this afternoon. You are the director of enterprise risk management for the city of Atlanta in the administration of Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. The city of Atlanta is both receiving funds and spending its own money and resources on COVID-19 emergency response with an expectation of federal reimbursement. Is that generally correct? That is correct. Uh, prior to the national declaration being made, the city had set aside uh, certain funds in anticipation and in preparation to make sure that the needs of its residents were being taken care of. So we are using some of our city's funds and then we do expect to seek reimbursement uh, from the government. And as the person who's chiefly responsible for risk management in the city of Atlanta, in connection specifically with the COVID-19 crisis, you are also the head of the city of Atlanta's cost recovery team or CRT. Can you just explain a little bit to us about what that involves. I'm responsible for coordinating the efforts of the city to maximize its cost recovery. This includes coordination with city staff, outside consultants, and the federal agencies. It is a tremendous effort with a lot of moving parts externally and internally. I ensure that the city staff members are being responsive to the consultants as they request information to assist in their cost recovery effort. And I also ensure that the consultants are on time with deliverables that the city expects from them. And finally, I make sure that the city senior management team is well informed and engaged in the cost recovery effort. So tell us how you've gone about organizing the CRT and a bit about its methodology. We have a what we call a boots on the ground team, which consists of the representatives from each department. They report into what we call our internal governance group, which is charged with managing our PPE and our inventory. And we also have in place what we call 
COVID-19 governance structure, which consists of executives throughout the city. We report to them on a weekly basis, and they then report up to the mayor to make sure that she's aware of what's going on in the city. And have you hired a monitoring firm to assist the CRT with this very copious process? Yes, most definitely. Uh, very early on in our process, we uh, established and saw the need to have uh, what we consider to be consultants to assist us. Tell us some of the goals of this process and how has it been going? The, the goal of this process has been to make sure that we're doing the best job we possibly can to place the city in the most advantageous position. That includes making sure that we have a dashboard presentation that's been designed by the consultants to give us real-time information regarding our cost recovery efforts. We began our cost recovery efforts in mid-March, but early on in late January, early February, the city of Atlanta established a pandemic coordinating team. So we were well engaged before it even became a, a national declaration or even for that matter, a state declaration. And so the cost recovery team grew out of and became separate and apart from the pandemic coordinating committee? That is correct. Uh, one of the things that we did uh, before we grew out from the pandemic coordinating committee was to establish what we call a uh, activity code. Um, very early, uh, our controller uh, identified a code that we used to identify all purchases made on behalf of the city for uh, COVID-19. We have been tracking everything from hazardous pay to PPE to overtime pay, all of the activities uh, involved. And the CRT became its own standalone enterprise because of the number of federal monies and funding streams and also the importance of tracking those funds. Is that right? That is exactly correct. Because we realized that not only we have FEMA funds, but we have the coronavirus relief fund money, uh, there's possibly HUD monies. We wanted to make sure that we maximize our efforts. In addition to the cost recovery team, we also have in place a relief fund working group. And that relief fund working group is designed to make sure that we maximize not only the FEMA cost recovery effort, but maximize the direct payments that we receive from the U.S. Treasury. And as we go through, we prioritize what's important for the city, and we make sure that we're getting the best possible results that we possibly can. That's an excellent idea. So overall, as a result of the CRT, do you feel like your city is on a better footing in terms of dealing with the federal agencies and having a handle on its fiscal expenditure uh, environment? I most definitely do think that we are. We've been in constant contact with our consultants. We started out on the right path, and we are going to continue to move in that direction, documenting our expenditures and to make sure that we adequately prepare in the event of an audit that comes along in later years. We realized uh, the importance of documentation. We realized the importance of having the consultants. We realized the importance of having auditors to be present and to monitor as we go along. We realized that we're going to be spending money now, but at some point in the future, there's going to be an accountability factor. And that helped us to lay the foundation, but to direct our employees to be prepared for this, not only for today, but for the years to come. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Follow the Data. Many thanks to Rose Gill, Jerry Deloche, and Stephen Cobray for joining us. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Follow the Data podcast and tell your friends to subscribe as well. This episode was created by Devin Alessio, Ivy Lee, Amy Curland, and Sarah Washington. Eric Levin, Cindy Nunclaris, and Adam Ziegenhals. As our founder, Mike Bloomberg, says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So until next time, keep following the data. I'm Katherine Oliver. Thanks for listening.